I V M. Folks, welcome to Bessa Bessa. I'm your host Anubam Gupta, B50 on Twitter, and on today's episode, I'm talking about asset allocation with our guest Rahul Goyal, former CEO of Equity Master. We'll be talking about asset allocation, asset allocation, how it's different from diversification, mistakes that a lot of retail investors make, and much more. Right after this short break. Subscribe to Paisa Paisa with Anubam Gupta on YouTube for knowing more about a wide variety of financial products from mutual funds to credit cards to loans and much more. Boost your financial knowledge and growth today. And welcome back. Okay, guys, for those who don't know Equity Master, I mean, you should, of course, that's the first thing. Please listen to our 25th April 2022 episode where we featured Rahul Shah. Because who we have is Rahul Goyal. But Rahul, welcome to Paisa Paisa. Thank you so much for doing so, our listeners. Super delighted to be here. Yeah, considering yeah. the kind of work you've done at Equity Master, I'm just wondering, we should have probably done this earlier than Well, my done. colleagues were coming. Rahul Shah was ah, here. Rahul Shah so, was yeah, yeah. So that was great. So I think a good way to start this would be tell us about yourself, you know, and your, as they call it these days, a journey, how and when you became part of Equity Master, yeah, sure. right up to, you know, your decision to move on. Yeah, sure. So I think the journey that makes sense for the readers is really the Equity Master journey. And uh, the fact that I got associated with Equity Master was pure luck, serendipity. Okay. I'm from a boarding school, very disciplined, came to Bombay, joined Sydney, those days very reputed. Course, yeah. What I did not know is that Sydney really didn't have classes. Oh. So okay. if you went to college at 8 a.m. in the morning, the classes were actually locked. Forget <laughs> teachers and students. The classes used to be locked. So very quickly, I got disillusioned. Nothing to do. And so I bumped into my teacher from Sherwood. And he introduced me to the founder of Equity Master. That time, Equity Master was not born. Yeah. And that's how the whole thing got set into motion. Initially, we were publishing a book called the Quantum Stock Market Yearbook. So I would go, you know, travel all over Bombay, get at, wherever you could get access to annual reports, plug it into a system along with a team of people and make those fact sheets and publish it in a book. And then uh, the founder of Equity Master, Ajit Dayal, had this brilliant yeah. idea. Why don't you put this information on the internet? This is 1996, yeah. 95, 96. Shall I where, where people can, you know, yeah. slice and dice. And what have you, you know, we were born on the internet, still not called Equity Master. It was called, I think it was called webindia.com stroke quantum or something like that. Yeah. And yeah, the rest is history. Yeah? So, and yeah. we just kept working. One thing led to another. I, of course, took a break to do my double postgrad and then came back and never looked uh, anywhere else. Yeah. Spent the next 25 years flat out at Equity Master. Ajit's been on our show. So I think he was there again online, I think last year somewhere. And he's always such a, you know, he's such a pleasure to talk with. He's Amazing. a veteran. Superb. Yeah. Um, his way of thinking of empowering the investor yeah. has always been something that stands up. But I think yeah. Equity, Equity Master was what, the very first subscription product for retail investors? Did I get that right? That's right. 2002, yeah. I would say, yeah. probably. Yeah. And the offering then has just evolved and yeah. it's there today as well, right? Yeah. yeah, now it's a whole bouquet of services meant for various investors. But the common thing across everything mm. is we don't guarantee 100% success record. We guarantee 100% effort and 100% honesty and transparency in what we do. Yeah. That is uncompromisable. I was and that's what to, helps us, you know, keep our heads high and sleep peacefully and no, no hanky-panky. Yeah, because you're paid for by the subscriber himself, herself. Yeah. And that's yeah. the reason why you can be as independent, as candid as possible. Yeah, no, but even in our business, in our industry, people take shortcuts all uh, the time. Yeah. You know, you can see all the SEBI orders coming all the time uh, on what people are doing. 
Uh, we chose to walk the right path no matter what the cost. Okay. It's tough, but works in the long term. Yeah, sounds good. I want to build on that, Rahul. What's mm-hmm. your take on retail investors? You know, when you came in in 1996, product came out in 2002. What's been this journey? Because you've seen it for what? It'll be like almost 30 years now. Yeah, yeah. What's your take? So, uh, at one level, retail investors are still making the same mistake. They give in to too much greed or too much fear. But the trigger for those mistakes is kind of changing. Those days, it was lack of information. They didn't even know the basics of a company. And they would go and trade and punt and get carried away and lose their money. Now what's happening is that there's too much information. And the fact that there's too much information doesn't mean you're able to glean away a sensible idea. But they just feel they know. And they are, again, getting driven by greed. Exactly today what's happening, right? Uh, If you look at SIPs, and I've been writing a lot about SIPs, I think SIPs is like a ticking time-up. The number of people who've done SIPs in small-cap and mid-cap funds, it is just shocking. The highest number. I just saw a graphic somewhere. It's floating around everywhere. The In the, in the entire SIP book of some 17,000-odd crores, small and mid-cap are the highest. Yeah, I, I, I publish, you know, I'm, I'm writing a column for Mint, and I put the table out there every month or whenever I write. It is shocking, and not one person from either the mutual fund industry or an independent advisor or the regulator has warned the retail investor not to get carried away. SIPs are good, no problem. Mm. They're a good savings instrument, not necessarily a good investment instrument. For it to become a, from a good saving to a good investment, you have to select very carefully where you do the SIP. And right now, basic point, you know, yeah. retail investors are making mistakes still driven by greed and fear. The fundamental thing that will remain unchanged just different mistakes. Yeah. I wanted to just drill that down a little bit further. When you say that it's a taking time bomb and the fact that um, the numbers are actually quite big, what could go wrong? Let's look at it that way. I mean, now, so of course, with the market where it is and small and mid caps have been on a tear for quite some time yeah. now. Mm-hmm. What could go wrong? I don't think people are thinking about that. Tell us. See, in the market, you never know. Oh, it's very difficult to predict what will go wrong. But what you can say with a high level of certainty something will go wrong. Mm. In 2022, none of us had predicted that the markets are going to collapse. Even though there were signs, but no one really acted on it. Even when Russia attacked, sort of claimed territory in Ukraine, even then the market started correcting, but they did not collapse till May and June of 2022. Mm. Right? So it's just psychology, we we are not willing to accept something's going to go wrong. Something will go wrong. Could it be a global recession? We don't know. Yeah. Data from China is horrible. Europe is horrible. US, suddenly everyone believes it's a Goldilocks economy, nothing will go wrong. Well, you know, anything can go wrong, yeah. You know, uh, you asked this question, I remember 1999, I would write a market commentary. And the number one concern used to be border issues. <laughs> because we used to have issues with Pakistan right? Today, no one talks about all this, right? But these are still issues, maybe the China border. So investing is all about managing risk. And I think if people ignore that, sooner or later, they're going to get hit. And they're going to take a knock. And if you have more small cap, mid cap, the knock's going to be far more than what it would be in a well-selected large cap portfolio. Yeah, as history has shown us time as and again. history has shown, yeah. Yeah. So, okay, um, Big picture, general outlook um, on equity and debt markets going, you know, now that the new year has just started in 2024, um, equity and debt 
like you said, anything could go wrong. And the fact is that we never think about it when the markets are at an all-time high. So what's your take going from here? So no short-term view. But I think equities look brilliant from a long-term perspective. But the fact is equities have always looked brilliant. Going back right up to the 90s, early 90s, the fact is they'll always be intermittent sell-offs. So when you are making your portfolio, you have to be very careful. You're not discounting far too much into the future today. So for example, if you're investing in small caps, the reason small caps are looking good because you're saying, you know, in 2032, the stock's going to do very well. Oh. Yeah, we don't even know what's going to happen two years or six months down the line. Yeah. And you project it up to 2032. That's when mistakes happen. And that's when people lose money. So if you can plan your portfolio well, have a mix of large caps, small cap, mid cap, usually large cap should be at least two thirds of the portfolio, select it well, and that will control the volatility in your portfolio. And I think if you stick with it, over the next five, 10 years, I think you should do very well. That's yeah. what I'm betting on, yeah. right? Equities got, India's got a bright future. Here's a line I wrote in my, one of my pieces with Mint. Be super bullish on India, but be cautiously optimistic about stocks. Nice, nice. That's the approach I think people should have. Yeah. On debt, my view actually changed. So someone popped a question to me, Rahul, would you buy a 50-year government bond? I said, no, not in India. And then uh, this question stayed with me. I went home, thought about it, and I realized I may be making a mistake. And the mistake is that if interest rates in India have peaked, right, and if you're looking at a benign environment for the next few years, even debt could be very attractive. Now you have to, you know, these are all technical things you have to yeah. study very carefully, etc. But uh, yeah, they are, irrespective of the fact that the markets are all-time high, I think they are very attractive investment opportunities available to the sensible investor today, outside of the small <laughs> and mid caps. <laughs> yeah. I find it really interesting that you mentioned that at Diwali party, someone asked you about debt because yeah. you would have seen the market over the last, like I said, 30 years. Kind of question that gets asked at any party, not just Diwali, is kya lagta hai, kya ka, yeah, right? Yeah. Debt is something that's relatively new. Yeah. And it's also opening up a lot because a lot of people, fintechs who've also been on a show are doing something very different. And people are probably questioning the wisdom of putting in FD versus debt mutual funds, etc., etc. But I, I don't want to get into that. In your conversations, in your experience, whatever you've seen, how has debt investing evolved? You know, are people more aware? Because debt is a seriously complicated market. Now, I'm an equities guy. And I've always thought that, I mean, just by numbers globally, Debt is much bigger than equity. Much bigger. And usually debt is like a lead indicator where equities will go. Anybody know it? That's quite yep. quite logical. India is just kind of at the early stages of people trying to figure out, okay, these are the options, etc. So what's your view on the debt landscape so as I far think, as… I think uh, if you are an investor in debt in India, you are looked down upon. Huh. I think uh, you're not going to get any pat on the back from anyone for being a debt investor. So I think what's happened is that one is the institutional framework which has been very, very limited to the large investors. And the other is the fact that no one even explored it. Who wants a 7 8% risk-free return when theoretically you can get a 25% return in stocks? Mm. But it doesn't work that way, right? For the last few decades, the 60-40 portfolio in the US has been gold. 60% mm. stocks, 40% debt. And I think the same thing could happen in India. But we need to get those debt instruments available. I still think uh, that market is shallow. I did read in the press the other day that the RBI is taking even more steps 
to make it retail friendly. Yeah. I don't know whether you've accessed the website RBI Retail Direct. I have. I opened an account and that's all I could do. I, I did the same thing. I couldn't move I, any forward. I could understand and, what to do. Uh, I don't know what were your reasons for, you know, going back and questioning the 50-year law. I mean, the 50-year bond that you just mentioned, You for your initial action was you said no. Yeah. And then you went back and you said, you'll think about it. What changed? Well, if you lock in a high rate of interest, uh, it's a great idea. The reason is because interest rates possibly in the next couple of years are going to go lower in India. And the longer the bond, the bigger the capital gain when market rates reduce. So it's like a nice one, two, three year invest capital gain opportunity, not the coupon. In a country where, you know, if I asked anyone, what is the rate of inflation? They're going to say our household budget is at least 10% going up every year. Absolutely. And if the bond is giving 7%, it's a waste of time. You're losing money. So it's a it's an opportunity to make a capital gain more than anything else. Yeah, but see, you get the capital gain part. I probably get the capital gain part, but I don't think anybody should be going into a GSEC directly buying from RBI expecting an FD-like situation. Because oh, not at all. This is yeah, capital yeah. at risk. Debt, yeah. and I learned this from our founder, Ajit Dayal, debt can be far more risky compared to equity also. So that's that's a big disclaimer. You have to be really either be aware or stay away from it. Yeah, yeah I mean, you know, uh, there is a case, obviously, if, if you're looking at a 30-year debt, 30-year GSEC at what, 7, 7.5, 7.6%. And yeah, if you do nothing, just hold on to it each year. And there's sovereign, so there's no default, no risk. default risk. The government is going to pay you that much each year for the rest of, you know, for the rest of the bond period. So, but capital risk, you're right about that. Yeah. Um, I'll give you a nice tip over here. Go for it. So you said 7.5%, right? Yeah. Now, if you go in the RBI retail direct, you will find bonds issued by state governments, which for the same tenure will probably give you 8%. Mm. Right? You should buy the 8%. The reason is because I think, and if someone, you should verify this, RBI is on record having said that state government bonds are sovereign risk. They will never default. So if I have two bonds, seven and a half and eight, Hmm. I'd definitely take the eight if the risk is the same. Yeah. I don't know whether that being sovereign <laughs> or whether there's a backstop yeah. out you there should, by somebody. You double but, check, yeah. but I think the RBI has um, on record to say it. I actually did search. I think they've they've definitely said it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and yeah. folks, please, you know, this is these are bonds buying yeah, them directly yeah. versus yeah. buying by a debt mutual fund. You should please please do your research. Okay. We're gonna just take a small break out here and when we come back, we're gonna actually drill down into what Rahul said about asset allocation, about large caps, mid caps, and actually building a portfolio with some tips that will directly aim that telling you how to make sense of the whole asset allocation but don't go anywhere we'll be right back and welcome back okay now let's get into the topic of this episode asset allocation i want to understand the meaning okay because a lot of times i get you know people talking about asset allocation but they don't understand how it's different from diversification and there's a whole you know there's some amount of confusion out there let's understand asset allocation on its own, how it's different from diversification and why both are actually important for your portfolio. So I don't know what the textbook definition is. What I think of asset allocation is it is something that connects your financial goals and plans to the actual realization of those goals and plans. So you can say, I want to do retirement planning. I'm going to invest 50,000 rupees a month. I hope to earn 8% per annum or 10% per annum or whatever, and I'll fund my requirement 20 years down the line. Well, you got a plan, you got a goal, the allocation will connect the two. The allocation is going to tell you where to put your money, 
how much stocks, how much debt, how much real estate, how much gold. That's asset allocation. It's way beyond equities. I think when I read in the papers where some people go online and say, we got 99% of our assets in equities and all, I think that's very dangerous. It could work for some people. For most people, it's not going to work because it's going to be a very volatile ride. So think of asset allocation as optimizing your wealth in a way that helps you achieve your life goals. Hmm. That's what asset allocation does. It's something I've seen most people not do. It's a waste. Most, if, you, if you went around asking your friends and family, why are you investing? They will all say, we want to generate wealth. Very few link it to a real life goal. And that's what makes it troublesome. Because if you are just chasing wealth and you don't have an anchor, that's when you do the racy stuff trying to earn the highest return. But if you knew you could live a very comfortable life at 12% per annum and you optimized your assets for that, imagine the calm you'd have and you'd get there as against just chasing a 15, 20, 25% return. So yeah, just it's 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 insurance the way you allocate your the way you invest your assets across asset classes. Yeah, diversification. I read this quote from Charlie Munger recently. He said, diversification is diversification. Oh, W-R-S-E. <laughs> W-R-S-E. Yeah. <laughs> so incidentally, and I didn't I didn't realize it till then, I actually also prefer to be very concentrated. So for example, when you like if I'm investing in equities, I tend to buy direct stocks, but I also have mutual funds. I think 99.9% of my equity fund allocation is in one scheme only. Mm. Similarly, in my stock portfolio, yeah, my top four stocks are probably 85% of my portfolio. Okay. And I believe that if you, if you know what you're doing, if you are high conviction, then you, know, you really have to bet big. You wait, you find the right opportunity and you bet big. Too much diversification only takes you down to the index return. In fact, I wrote a piece on this. Sure. People end up with four or five mutual funds in their portfolio, equity funds. Uh, I, I added up all the stocks. It comes to about 227 stocks. If you own 227 stocks, those are probably all the investable stocks available to someone today. The good ones. The good ones, yeah. So which means you're going to get an average return. Yeah. So how do you sort of try and get a better than average return? Sure. So yeah, so diversification, I'm not a big fan of. Okay. But then on the other hand, it's like a big disclaimer. Concentrated bet can, it cuts both ways. Both ways, yeah. I was just going to come to that. If you're not really good at it, you shouldn't do it. Yeah, and this is, I mean, you are someone who's seen the markets. You would not, I'm assuming, not give this advice to someone who's new to the markets. Yeah, new to the market, I'd say go by a mutual fund route. Select a fund, like the fund I invest in. I think they have 30 stocks. That's it. Choose something that's, uh, you know, aligned with your philosophy. So what do retail investors get wrong with asset allocation? If if you were to make a laundry list of the mistakes, one that we already spoke about, saying that small and middies are the highest SIP book, what would your list of mistakes look like? The allocation shifts depending on which market cycle is at its peak. If today's small cap, mid cap are peak, a lot of the allocation shifts to that. Tomorrow, if real estate is peak, Uh, assuming you have the kind of capital, it'll move to that. Mm. So you are buying into inflated markets. But if you think about it rationally, you would make money, the famous Warren Buffett quote, right? You have to be greedy when others are fearful. 
I don't see retail investors doing that. Mm. Like I uh, again, no tip. Do all your homework. Today is the time to be invested in large caps. Everyone yeah. who you respect in the market, you talk about Narain, you talk about any S Narain at ICICI Mutual. True, everyone yeah. saying, why would you invest in small cap? Yes, they will do well, but they've already run up. You might as well go into large caps. You look at the mutual fund stats. July, August, September, large cap funds actually lost money, while small cap, mid cap thematic funds gained some forty thousand crores. Mm-hmm. So. The retail investor, like I said, it's a greed and fear cycle that is playing out. And I think that's not doing them a lot of justice. And that's why, you know, the markets are all time high. You know, how many people have created real wealth? They have entered now with the hope of creating wealth in the future. I hope it works out. But, you know, history suggests it does not really work out very well for them. What I find interesting is this entire investment that people have been doing post the crash of the lockdown in March 2020, and that was, I, yeah. I believe, the Nifty went from some 12 and a half to 7 and a half, some 35% odd correction. After that, this market has only seen 10, 12% corrections o- over the last, right. all, it'll, it'll be four years next year. And no one's ever seen that kind of a shock so far. I hope that the SIP book sustains. But look at it from the investor's angle, Rahul. How do you choose a mutual fund? I mean, if there is performance itself behaviorally speaking because now there's a lot of lot of literature on yep. on this mm-hmm. which didn't exist by the way 30 years ago how should they choose a mutual fund if not performance and you know how if they, and there are tons of mutual funds out yeah. there someone who's who doesn't understand the space okay and probably can't afford an ad, an advisor also how should he choose a mutual fund for his goals it's very tough very very tough so my i have two daughters 16 and 11 and uh, they just started investing in funds so I had to suggest. So one fund was easy to suggest, the one I'm investing in. And to select the second fund, <laughs> it took me weeks to find. Okay. And ultimately, I came to the conclusion, and if someone asked me and you're asking me today, is that select the fund manager, the fund management team, and give them the flexibility to invest where the opportunity is. Now, it's, it's easier said than done. Retail investors, what they tend to do is they'll say, invest in the capital goods fund. Invest in the small cap fund. And I'm saying, why restrict the fund manager? If you've got the right fund manager, fund management team, give them the money and allow them to invest. You are investing for 10 years. Every market has its own mini cycle. Let them move around. I have, I'm afraid I don't have an answer for you, but I can mm. tell you it is very difficult to select a fund. Common mistakes, like I mentioned, people end up having too many funds. People end up having thematic funds. And they're all very widely distributed. Effectively, they own the whole market. Net net, they learn the same return as the index. I mean, unfortunate, but that's what the reality. That's what I see every day yeah, when yeah. I meet people. And what about social media? See, th- this wasn't there thirty years ago. Okay, mm. today now we are dealing with noise that how dare a mutual fund put his money in X Y Z IPO that apparently they don't like because it's come at some yeah. lofty valuations and how dare this that and I think it was Neil or Sashya at Mint who said that you know that investment by a mutual fund whose AVMs run, in, run into 10,000s of crores is probably putting in even put in 10 crores or 5 crores into a an IPO which you do not agree with. The rounding of error for them. But social media noise and behavioral finance make life very tricky. So unfortunately, I'm on the other side of the argument and I'll explain. Please. If a small cap fund bet on the IPO, no problem. If a large cap fund 
where the fund manager talks about following Warren Buffett's principles, long-term investing, value-oriented. If he bet on that fund, even if he bet one rupee on that fund, IPO, huh. I have an issue. Yeah, okay. Because you're not sticking to what you promised you'd do. The philosophy. So because today, if I overlook that, tomorrow you'll do something bigger <laughs> and bigger. And I'll tell you what, the fund I invest in, they don't do any of this. They've never done any of this. That's a nice lesson to take away, yeah. The other day, I, I was on a space and I said, here's a thumb rule. If your fund manager invested in a racy IPO, which was not part of the mandate, strike him off your list. Yeah, yeah. You can't justify it by saying it's a small amount. Because, yeah, it's money after all, yeah. yeah. Every rupee, it's a fiduciary responsibility. Every rupee counts. Correct. And why don't the other good funds do it? They don't do it. Very interesting. Okay, now let's get some tips across for our listeners. Okay, I want two things for me. The first question is, um, you spoke about your daughters, 16 and 11. Let's fast over 10 years. Okay, mm -hmm. Let's look at a 25-year-old who's just starting off probably his first job, new to the market, new to investing. Forget markets, new to yep. in, investing, getting his first salary. What are the few things that you would tell him or her about asset allocation? See, when you're starting off, the amount of money available is very little, yep. right? And there are two challenges at that stage. You have real life needs. You're probably looking to get married in a few years. You need a home. On the flip side, the earlier you start investing in stocks, equities, the better it is. So no easy answer again. But I would say that if you are young and starting off, oh yeah, here's the answer. Yeah, yeah, go, just for it. Me. yeah, yeah go for it. So this is what I'm teaching my daughters. I don't know whether they'll learn it. So the principle I follow in life, at least I try to follow in life is income, Less savings equals expenses. Can't get more bu buffet than that. Warren Buffet said this, I think. But quite what is happening yeah. now in today's generation? You ask me about problems with retail <laughs> investors and Diwali yeah, yeah, lunches, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'll tell you something. Okay. What people are doing is income, less expenses, zero savings or negative savings. right? So in the same Diwali lunches, I would turn around and ask, are you guys investing in stocks, equities? I think 90% said no. No cash available. No funds available. Oh, Why? Okay. Because it's gone into cars. It's gone into oh. residential large apartments. It's gone into large holidays, which I think is perfectly fine. But if you had followed income, less savings, is expenses, you could have still squirreled away some money into investing, which would do you a world of good. And I think if you follow this principle, no matter what age you are, I think it'll hold you in good stead. Yeah. It won't make you very popular <laughs> because <laughs> you won't have stuff to post on your social media very often. <laughs> yeah. But you do well, I think, in life. Okay. And setting up the portfolio. Like now that I've got my number, I've done income minus... Savings. Income minus savings is equal to expenditure. So I've got my savings number from there. Yeah. So what would be your... You know, some... You already said that choosing a mutual fund is really difficult. Mm -hmm. Anything beyond that about actual setting up the portfolio from scratch, from day one? Yeah. How should they go about doing it? So if you are not, if you don't have the temperament or understanding of stocks, don't touch it directly. Go through a fund. It's not easy to select a fund. Do the hard work. Find a honest advisor. Choose a team, like you said. Yeah. Uh, choose a team yeah. and go down that route. Uh, yeah. There's no easy answers. See, investing, what, what's that very famous phrase? Investing is simple, but it's not easy. Right. So if you learned how to select people and teams, your life's made. But if you're trying to complicate things by guessing why is my large cap fund manager not buying small cap stocks today because you're just complicating the whole thing. Yeah. 
So stick to the basics, uh, learn about people, see their track record, go and listen. Even to date, I log into all kinds of analyst meets, listen to conference calls. I hardly have any stocks in my portfolio. Probably have seven stocks in my portfolio sure. worth anything. But uh, the point is you get, over time you'll develop the experience on how to select management, sure. fund management teams. And yeah, and start investing slow and steady. Okay. Today, for someone who's starting off an investment journey at a young age, to at least get to know the market, you know, is and this is what the guests on the show have also said as a general rule, you know, mm. is just go for an index fund. And not even an ETF because that's a little bit more evolved than an index fund in terms of, I mean, they both, both do the same thing. But what's your view on active versus passive? So I have not done passive. Hmm. And uh, so 20 years, let's say, let's rewind back to 1999. And you said Rahul, active versus passive. And I would say <laughs> active. The reason is India is an under-researched market. And if you found a team which is adequately smart, they can easily beat the index. And that's what happened. I think with every passing year, as the market becomes more deeply researched, to get that alpha, what they call in the market, is going to become increasingly difficult. So if you can't find the fund management team, go for passive. How do you select passive? Again, don't do a passive in a small cap index fund. Do Or if you're doing it, make sure it's only 5-10% of your passive funds. So select that well. The other thing about passive is you have to keep costs in mind. It's all about the cost. Yeah. So I, I remember in 19... I don't think there were index funds in 99. But whenever the index funds first launched in India... They used to have a similar expense ratio as compared to active Actives, funds. Yeah, yeah. I think it was probably Benchmark, which did this junior yeah. Bs and 50 yeah, Bs and yeah. all that. Yeah. Now, of course, it's different. So you get that Delta uh, savings. Yeah. yeah, so it depends. If you can pick the team, go for it. I'm still not uh, into <laughs> passive. But I bet at some point in time in the future, passive will make increasingly a lot more sense. Yeah. Okay, so that's we are done with the show. And my last final question, our standard question is book recommendations. Say any book that you're reading, anything that you've read recently, anything that you'd like to share with our listeners. Huh. So I think the best book I've read this year is Pulak Prasad's book. I'm going to name the book wrong, but uh, it's uh, something about what I learned from Darwin about investing. Yeah. That's so, it. That is, it's Pulak that's Prasad's one, book. Yeah, yeah. Brilliant, brilliant book. Uh, I would recommend everyone read it. I just read this Sunday a, sh a relatively short book by Chris Mayer. It's 100 Baggers. Now, I know the name sounds racy, <laughs> but it's nothing about <laughs> like picking a stock and it goes to 100. But I think that book is very essential reading for anyone who's a long-term investor because it tells you what to look for in a company which you want to hold in a long-term portfolio. Yeah. And of course, there's the other book, Joys of Compounding by Gotham Baird, I think. Yeah, yeah, Gotham yeah, Baird, yeah. 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 I'll just recap that for listeners. The first one, of course, was what I learned from Darwin about investing by Pulak Prasad. Pulak Prasad. I hope that he writes more books, by the way. He's absolutely yeah. brilliant. The second was Chris Mayer. That's M-E-Y-E-R. M-A-Y-E-R. M-A-Y-E-R. 100 baggers. 100 baggers. And the third was Gotham Bed. Joy of investing. I think it's yeah, jo yeah. Joys of Compounding. Joys maybe. of Compounding. Something Sorry, like that. Yeah. Yeah. So folks, there you go. I'm sure people will figure it out. Yeah. Three recommendations from Rahul. And that is a wrap on this episode of Pesa Pesa. My guest, Rahul Goel, former CEO of Equity Master. Rahul, thank you so much for doing this for our listeners. It's been wonderful. Thank yeah. you for having me. Sure. 
And listeners, if you like this podcast, you can subscribe to our YouTube channel where you get to watch the full video episodes. You can check out other interesting podcasts on the IVM network. You can also follow us on our social media. We are IVM Podcast on Twitter and Instagram. If you want to reach out to me, I'm your host Anubham Gupta, B50 on Twitter. And thank you, really, folks. Thank you so much for listening to Pesa Pesa. No material on the show should be considered as financial advice. The material on the show is for informational purposes only. Please consult a financial advisor before taking any investment decision.